Welcome to Tech Deciphered. We bring you the entrepreneur and investor views on big tech, VC, and startup news, opinion pieces, and research. We decipher their meaning and add inside knowledge and context. We also share our insights and experience with you, with unique nuggets and lessons that we learned the hard way. No smoke and mirrors, no BS. Being nerds, we also discuss gadgets and pop culture news. Hi, I'm your co-host Nuno Gonçalves Pedro, entrepreneur and venture capitalist, co-founder and managing partner at Chameleon and Strive Capital. And I am your co-host, Bertrand Schmidt, entrepreneur in residence at Red River West, co-founder of App Annie. We have both been in tech for almost 25 years. Nuno is based in Silicon Valley, while I am based in the greater Seattle area, having previously worked and lived in Europe and Asia. With Tech Deciphered, discover how the best entrepreneurs pitch, how investors think, and what are the deep trends underlying the tech industry. You can check the latest on our website, decipheredshow.com. You can also connect with us on Twitter at bschmidt and at ngpedro. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor. Subscribe, give us five stars, and or leave a review on Apple Podcasts app or your favorite app. This will help other people discover Tech Deciphered. Welcome to episode 37 of Tech Deciphered. In this episode, we will address CEO and employee activism. How much is too much? We will touch upon a few CEO activism events that are recent. We will also talk about how M&A changes everything. We will then address employee activism, which has become more exacerbated over the last three years. And finally, we'll bring it all together. How much is too much? Should you be in the media all the time? How much should your PR department control what you say? How much should you listen to your employees? How much as an employee should you actually speak out? Yeah, I think you know that's a timely topic. <laughs> And it's something that for the good or for the worse has been changing maybe quite dramatically if you compare the last decade versus how businesses used to be run before. And I guess, of course, it's thanks to change in uh, technologies. You have your cell phone always available. You can talk to people. You can record. You can tweet. You can do video. And I guess step by step, CEOs, employees discover that they, they actually could have more of a voice. And there might be less a need for a middleman to express your opinion. And as a result, you communicate more easily. If you start communicating publicly, challenges can start to increase. It's a brand new world out there. And as Spider-Man would say, or actually his uncle. With great power comes great responsibility. So unfortunately, sometimes <laughs> people forget the responsibility piece and maybe they tweet at the wrong times of the day or they say the wrong things without really checking themselves up. And part of it we'll discuss today. Sometimes when you share on social media, obviously it lacks context, it's misinterpreted, or sometimes it's just plainly wrong, which is also the case. So shall we start? How much do you, should one have an opinion on specific topics, geopolitical topics that are important socially, how much should a CEO or founder have an opinion on? And maybe we'll talk about a few examples. Yeah, I think traditionally the approach was if you're in the economic sphere, you are out of the public sphere, you are out of the political sphere, and you are very careful and measured about how you communicate. And usually you have a, a big PR department all focused on uh, supporting you and the message you are supposed to convey. And you certainly don't go off the cuff. Obviously, things have changed since the past 10 years. It's not easy for a CEO to make that decision to do more, but sometimes you have no choice. 
I think some interesting examples. A few years back, maybe actually with COVID, we saw some tension about basically, should you be focused as a company on your mission first at the extent of anything else? And we have seen quite a bit happening in that sphere. And maybe two companies have in some ways best showcased two extremes. On one side, you have the sales force of the world who is definitely trying to take every topic out there that you can find and trying to push the company itself and its employees to become quote-unquote good citizens and to influence the public sphere. We can remember, uh, for instance, how uh, Salesforce was pushing for new taxation scheme in uh, San Francisco, hopefully to help some people. Others beyond themselves, because I do think that they got at some point some tax break as a company in SF. And that may have rippled to others. Some would say that it was a clever ploy to actually make it more painful for other companies, especially their competitors, to operate in San Francisco. It depends how you position it. It was clearly positioned as a, being a good citizen by Salesforce, but not everyone would agree. But on the other end of the spectrum, we have a company like Coinbase, where basically there was a lot of internal pushback for more discussion internally around what's happening in public policy, what's happening in the US. At some point, the CEO say, all of this is good and nice, but ultimately we're a mission-focused company and this is not our problem. Our problem is to, as employees, to focus our efforts and energy on our mission. And if we believe our mission is important, that should help you believe you are focused on the right thing. And there is no need to do anything else, at least during your work hours. And of course, obviously, what you do on your personal time, on your personal name is a different story. But that should be enough. And we believe that it's creating too much risk of division of the company mm. to have all this constant debate about what should be done from a political perspective. And that's not productive or conducive of a good, well-run company that wants to be focused on its mission. And I think that obviously Coinbase, as well as many companies, have a, a very important deep mission and that could be seen as a very fair statement. Definitely these two companies, Salesforce, Coinbase, are really the two extremes of that positioning. Should you be involved mm. in politics, at least internally, or should you be much less? And it's interesting because if we go back in time, once upon a time, there was a world where as you said, there were PR departments, comms directors that were in full control of their CEOs. <laughs> there were message houses that were followed, media training that was held regularly, practice. People talked like, really, politicians. There was a separation between internal communications and external communications, or internal communications was by nature more open although also fleshed out, but more open. And external communications was a lot more focused on what key messages do we want to give the market? How will that affect our stock price? And then all of a sudden, all changed. And it changed with social media. It changed with the leaking of internal memos. It changed with uh, leaking of town halls that were videotaped and recorded. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we've gone into a world where on the one hand, and we'll talk about employees later on, employees are sharing stuff that maybe they shouldn't be about what's going on in the company. 
And CEOs in some ways are acting in arenas that maybe they should be a bit more thoughtful about. I mean, the extreme example, obviously, is our great friend Elon Musk and everything that he does seems to be <laughs> a meme. We've talked about him in the past. Amazing <laughs> one-man marketing machine. I don't think it's one man. He has people working with him, but definitely is the meme machine. Not mean, but meme machine. And everything got a bit fuzzy. The distinction between internal and external is not there anymore. People say what's going on in their minds. I share my perspectives on what's happening in the market. Might not be aligned with my board of directors. Might not be aligned with most of my company, actually. It doesn't matter. And so we've gone from a world in which people are saying, you know what, we are a company. We have something we want to do. Your logic of mission-driven. We are of our own value system. And this is why we abide by the external stuff is the external stuff. And then we have the other part of the world where it's just like everything's open. And I'll just do whatever I need to do to get my company out there to manifest my perspectives on what's happening in the market. And I need to be very aggressive and active about it. In some ways, actually, market Salesforce is a little bit more to the middle than to the extreme. Maybe Elon is sort of the extreme example here. Mark is very thoughtful on how Salesforce will show up, right? Obviously, he has his principles. There's a value system that they abide by. Maybe Elon is at the other extreme, which is like, I have perspectives on everything and Tesla is not the only company I'm running and this is my perspective right now. I think that's a little bit too much. And honestly, at that point in time, you have people that are a little bit bigger than life in some ways. I'm not saying that what Elon is doing is not creating value for his companies. Actually, quite the opposite. Probably is creating a lot of value for his companies. But it's incredibly risky. You're going to unavoidably step on people's toes that you shouldn't. You're going to be operating in an arena that you're probably not well-equipped to participate in. I think for me, that's the biggest objection I have is when I hear a CEO opining on something that's geopolitical in nature, that is a social logic or a social environment piece, where in all honesty, I'm not sure why that person is better equipped to have an opinion on it than experts in the field or others. And they can say, well, I've talked to experts. It's great, like hearsay. But it's like, why are we listening from you on this specific topic? And again, this is not a stab at Elon. There's many others that do it. But I'm like, why do we listen to you? And that's the other side of the fence. The other side of the fence is we, the consumers, we, the people that consume social media and that consume what is being put out there. How much are we aware that some of this is just generally noise, that actually, in all honesty, it shouldn't manifest itself. It shouldn't really be that important. It doesn't really frame something that is fact-based. It's just an opinion of a guy or a girl. And okay, we'll listen to it because it's their opinion, but that's about it. Yes, I think at the same time, interestingly enough, when you think about Elon Musk, there are definitely multiple sides to this coin, Dogecoin, should I say. But on one side, you could argue that he has been successful with Tesla and SpaceX, thanks to his visibility in this media, thanks to his public visibility, and that helped him to decrease the need for marketing. As a reminder, that's one of the few companies today, Tesla, without a PR department. There is no more PR department. It was removed by Elon himself. That's also the question. Is he talking as a spokesperson of Tesla or SpaceX, or is he just Elon Musk, who happens to be also the CEO of Tesla, SpaceX? So that's part of the question, because... Definitely, it has been a big win for him in terms of followership. I mean, 100 million plus people following him on Twitter. That's just huge and game changer. But to put some of this in perspective, I mean, it's coming, for instance, as simply as 
real legal risks. When you are smoking pot on Joe Rogan podcast, when you are claiming to have an offer to bring Tesla back to being a private company, when you are talking about your perspective on the war in Ukraine, for instance, a few days after that, we had some apparently rumors that he's going to get investigated. There is some real downside that might be significant and non-trivial for Elon. And at the same time, because you are CEO, why should you stop having uh, opinions and keeping them private? It can be tough. And sometimes you could argue that for a lot of companies having a, or startups, having a very visible CEO can help dramatically your marketing. I think there should be a line. And that line should be enforced by regulators. In the US, FTC is protecting consumers. It needs to get involved if it believes that there are things that are being done that are nefarious to consumers done by a specific CEO, be it who it may be. We're not just talking about Elon. It might be another person altogether. We've seen celebrities getting in trouble recently because of the whole crypto craze. Indeed. And I yeah. think that line should be there. The SEC is there to defend a different line, a line around propping up the value of stock, how securities are being actually pushed into the market. And those regulations should be actually abided by. We're not in the far West. There are rules and they need to be abided by. And on the other hand, and I think you and I both agree on this, there are people that are doing well, at least in our opinion, at sharing their opinions without crossing some of these lines. When Aaron Levy at, at Box is an example that we both discussed at length, you, you like him, I like him as well. I don't know if he has a PR department or an agency working with him, but the way he manifests his opinions are at times funny. They are clear, but they're not, I think, breaking any laws or going across any sort of boundaries. Maybe tomorrow we'll realize that he has been taken to court by someone, but anyway. <laughs> but that type of tonality where you still have an opinion, you're Aaron Levy, you're the CEO and founder of Box, you have a view on what's going on in the world, you share that, but you're at that point where I am not crossing the line on influencing consumers to do certain things, on propping up the value of my stock, et cetera, et cetera. There is a way to do that properly. And honestly, if anything, and this is sort of my manifestation, and again, I'm not speaking about anyone specifically, I feel the SEC and the FTC have been very nice in many circumstances towards some of these manifestations. I mean, the crypto craze in particular was silly. People propping up tokens and stuff that had absolutely no vetting on. There was no due diligence, right? And I mean, this stuff lost people money. So what happens? Who's going to defend consumers, right? Who's going to be the voice saying, this is not okay? It can't be the platforms themselves. I mean, it can't be Twitter itself. It can't be the platforms themselves by themselves. I don't think it should be the platform. I agree with you. I don't think it should be the platforms. I think the platforms have a certain role in terms of moderating content, in terms of the activities that are done within the platform, in terms of what is wildly accepted or unaccepted, but they are not the censors. They are not the guys who define the line. The line should be defined by someone that is put there to actually define the line. And those are regulators. And they're the agencies that regulate us, that protect consumers, that protect us in general. Yeah, to follow up on what you said, and there is a lot <laughs> to go through. I agree mostly with you, Aaron Levy, CEO of Box, definitely a great Twitter figure. From what I understand, he's definitely doing it by himself and his marketing department doesn't know what he's tweeting in advance. But I think he definitely has been careful and has listened to his lawyers and communication professionals in terms of what he can or should not tweet about. He has probably found the right balance. He's still independent. 
from his company. Sometimes his marketing team might have to do some work uh, to follow up. But at the same time, he's never crossing any lines, at least as far as I know. If we take on some of your points, we need the regulators. I agree. In general, I would say it's when we go in the specifics that I might agree less in the sense of we see too often regulators who are themselves crossing the line and going way beyond their charter. And it's happening on a regular basis. And I think it's a huge problem, the overreach of regulators. So yes, there need to be some level of regulations, but it has to be fair, applied to everyone the same way, not just the people you don't like at some point. And it also should not be beyond the powers of a regulator. I mean, there are definitely questions about who should be regulating crypto. It's nice to see the SEC trying to take that over. It's not clear. It's in their charter. So once it is, I'm fine with that. But obviously, crypto is a risky space. I think there are many things in crypto that went wrong. If the SEC had wanted to do the right thing, they had many opportunities. Recently, there's been a lot of stories about how some of the most senior staff has been living in rebellion to what's happening there. So I think it's not as easy as there are laws and regulators. Sometimes the laws might be wrong and the regulators might not follow the laws themselves or arbitrarily uh, pick their fights. But overall, I'm like you. I believe that you want to be careful. If you're a public figure, that's fine, but it can be challenging. It can be a lot of work to have to retract some statements. Finding the right balance is important. And that's true that historically, if you look at the public sphere, by being more aggressive, by being more extreme, that might be a way to get more followership faster and that might tempt people, but that might be dangerous down the line. Yeah, absolutely the case. And sometimes it gets more serious, right? I mean, we have the Jamie Dimon thing with JP Morgan and the hearings in front of Congress. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's an interesting one because someone as CEO, whether you like it or not, you, <laughs> you are put under the spotlight. And I think Jamie is someone who's probably going for the spotlight. But in that situation, sometimes you are forced to. And quite recently, there was a hearing in front of Congress where some questions were asked of CEOs. And at some point, you, you are forced <laughs> to take a side. You cannot always be in the middle trying to please everyone. And in some ways, that might be what you have to do as CEO to please everyone. <laughs> but up to a point, there was this interesting statement from him answering some questions about stopping oil and gas production or investment for the bank. Some representatives were asking them to divest their investments. And he put a strong statement, which I believe was to his honor, that putting brakes on oil and gas production would be a road to hell for America. That was a very strong statement, very atypical of a Wall Street CEO. But I think at some point you also want to put a line in the sand because at some point, if you keep agreeing on some things, you're just going to be bad business and that might be very far from what you believe yourself. Yes, and ultimately you have to stand for something. Exactly. The wishy-washiness that we see sometimes in politics, unfortunately, actually doesn't work as well <laughs> in some cases in the corporate world. <laughs> Up to a point. Certainly when it comes to managing a company, for example. And we know there's wishy-washiness as well in managing companies. But the point I'm trying to make is the there is an effect that is very strong in that wishy-washiness at times if you are the CEO of a company, for example, right? And you say this day once, the other day, whatever. Actually, the market, if you're a public company, could crash you, right? And could destroy you. I mean, you just said three months ago, your strategy is X, now it's Y and what happened? So again, I know that sometimes some of these argumentations are less related to the core of the company. But in the case of Jamie, obviously, for example, there was a lot of not just trades put into question, but also later on, he had a very public 
view on crypto. And I think part of it was warranted, which was this notion that crypto and Web3 was in some ways, there was a lot of noise in it. There was a lot of things in it that were not proper, that weren't right. He may have manifested himself in the wrong way. He had to sort of backtrack some of his comments later on as his own bank and the company that he leads has had to go into it as well. But here's a case of... Honestly, there are effects on your business and those effects on your business need to be taken into account and need to be put forward in a strong way. Maybe slightly changing tack. Everything is great if you're the CEO and if you're the founder of the company until you're acquired. (laughs) Then when you're acquired (laughs) and someone else owns you, shockingly enough, although you might be a really large acquisition and you might be quite a big deal... The runner is a different runner. And we had this controversy, obviously, with WhatsApp and Facebook. And Brian Acton, in particular, one of the co-founders of WhatsApp, left early and left a bunch of money at the table. I think it was $800 million or something that he didn't really vest on his earnout or that he didn't get from his earnout, but like a significant amount of money. And then very publicly came out and tweeted for, for Delete Facebook, funded the start of the Signal Foundation. Signal already existed, but the foundation, he was sort of funding it himself with a bunch of money. I think, I forget the exact number, but maybe 50 million, something like that. So significant. I know on this one, we have slightly different views, but I think Brian, on the one hand, realized, well, what I was promised before maybe is not what's happening now. And this huge amount of money that was paid for the company that I co-founded had some strings attached in the end and maybe became disillusioned at a certain point in time. I know you have a different view than I do on this, but so I'll let you express your view in a second. But for me, it's the one thing we would surely agree is once you sell, you sell, right? You're in the hands of someone else <laughs> and it's sort of life. <laughs> he came out publicly. He was very aggressive about it. His co-founder, Yen Kum, was not. He put money where his mouth was with Signal and the Signal Foundation I have to say, I still believe it took some balls to do that. And it still took balls for him to leave earlier than his earnout was done, although he still made a lot of money out of it. I understand, but M&A does change everything. Yeah, I mean, it does change everything because suddenly you're not in control. And sometimes it's interesting to see people who are surprised that they sold 100% of the stock of their company. Suddenly things don't happen as they wanted or expected. And of course, I'm not talking about just the first three months, but first year, two years might go very well or little surprise, but can change dramatically after that. And it's normal. Part of it is that companies evolve, goals evolve, strategy evolve, the environment evolve itself. I'm not sure how much we disagree because he did some interesting action in terms of investing in the Signal Foundation. I think for me, why it's a bit surprising is that at some point, it's tough to say you didn't know who you sold to. It's easy to have these new earned dollars, billions of dollars selling to Facebook. And at the same time, say you don't like how Facebook is making money. I mean, at some point you wanted money, you got the guy who got the most money and he's paying you. And if you really didn't like the company, the guy, just don't sell your business. But at the same time, if WhatsApp, from my perspective, was never going to monetize its product, it would have never been worth much at the end of the day. The only way for this company to be worth 20 billion or more was to definitely find ways to monetize. And it's tough to monetize to the levels we are talking about, uh, 20 billion worth. We thought basically doing some advertising and leveraging the brand, doing cross uh, promotions, leveraging the data. So again, I respect, but at the same time, I feel that it's easy to have remorse after selling for so much. 
I agree with everything you said. And obviously, 20 billion is a lot of money to pay. Initially, it was 19 billion. I think when the transaction was done, it was 21 point something billion. And part of it was as an earnout, as I discussed and mentioned to Brian and Yan. So they made a lot of money. There are things that are probably discussed within the logic of the deal of how the asset's going to be used after it's acquired. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that when that discussion happened, that WhatsApp was seen a little bit as a community driver in terms of messaging, encrypted end-to-end, and not by itself a source of monetization in and of itself. It might have been that that was part of the discussion. It might have been that there was a discussion where certain stuff was promised, and then lawyers go and do agreements, and that's not in the agreements, and nobody really did the final check, because the amount is so big at some point, you're like, I'm not going to have an argument on that clause. I'm giving you a little bit more benefit of the doubt, I think. I'm not saying they were naive, or there were naive people in here, but deals are complex, and I'm sure there were things that were promised in how things were done. I'm not sure you would be as vocally aggressive as he was on the whole end-to-end encryption of WhatsApp. And, and still, Facebook is mentioning this. I just saw an ad yesterday where Facebook is talking about end-to-end encryption. I was like, how is that possible? If then you serve me ads in your platforms that are just matching the conversation I just had. <laughs> I'm not saying they're lying. I'm honest to God, not saying they're lying, right? I don't want to get sued. But honest to God, all of us have had this experience. We talk, have conversations on WhatsApp and then we get served ads that magically are not just on the same topic, sometimes literally on the same thing that we just had a conversation on either on Instagram or Facebook, what's going on? And so it can't be that it's end-to-end encrypted. I mean, just it can't be. So again, there are manifestations out there of what was done that lead me to believe there were things discussed in that deal that really didn't follow through. The fact that we still see these ads leads me to believe that there's still things that are being propagated out there that might not be totally true or kosher. But again, I'm just a guy who has 10 different messaging tools on his mobile phone, so it's fine. Yeah, and sticking to Facebook, we also got the situation where the CEO of Oculus sold his company to Facebook, Palmer Lucky, at some point was forced to leave Facebook, and it looks like it was connected to his political position. And he was not very public about it. I think it was some stuff where found out, I'm not saying he was ashamed of anything, but he was careful of not being public about his opinion. But still, it came to hit very hard and it looks like he was pushed out. It was definitely not his choice to leave Facebook. And it came as a surprise that even if you are not public, being a public figure means that a lot of things you are doing would be scrutinized and some stuff that others could do without anyone noticing or knowing if you're a public figure having sold your business for a billion plus suddenly might become more visible or might make you a target, whether you like it or not. Yeah, I think political views coming into the fore in an explicit way that affect the company is one thing. I think political views coming out to four, but they don't really necessarily affect the company much is a different thing. Again, it is what it is. He also did very well in this transaction, I'm sure. It's sad that maybe it ended in the way that it did. And I'm sure that he's enraged for a variety of reasons. I don't have an opinion on who's right or wrong in any case, but that would be my line. My line is if it came to the four and it has a direct effect on the company, it's one thing. If it doesn't, then it's not okay. I mean, people have their own lives, right? Yeah, you have your own life, you have your own opinion, and you're entitled to them. And if on top of it, you are not especially public about it, to think that you can get fired for political opinions and views seems, especially when they are not specifically extreme, feels very surprising. I actually don't think it's okay, to be frank. 
Maybe switching tax, and there's plenty of examples of all these M&A changes, everything. And we didn't want to take a stab at Facebook. These are two very notorious cases, but there's many other great M&A transactions that Facebook did that didn't end up in this way. And many other companies have even probably more examples than Facebook. So again, we didn't want to take a stab. But switching tax to employees and employee activism. We already talked about all the leaking of memos that's going on and recordings of town halls and journalists that know stuff immediately after it happened, or sometimes when it's happening, I guess there's maybe a direct, a live blog of people sending stuff to journalists. I'm not sure, but there've been very strong views by employees manifested on a variety of things. And maybe we start with, shall we build things for military or not? And the whole example around, for example, Google and Google working or not working for the military and uh, their employee views. Yeah, it's very surprising for me, this movement. I mean, to go back to your point about leaking memos, town halls, I mean, if you take Google, that's really a way the company was built on to have these town halls where you can talk, where you can talk freely. There, was like a, there can be an honest exchange of ideas and perspective. And suddenly you cannot do that anymore because if everything you say, everything you present got leaked to the press, it's very difficult to be transparent and honest as you would like. If you take a Google, it's really a, a change of mentality, how you have to work. If you cannot, again, run the business how you used to, because now <laughs> so many things leak out easily. But if we go back to your point, uh, building for the military or not, recently Google kind of abandoned its efforts, and they were not that big to start with, to work and support the military. And of course, obviously, others uh, don't mind. Huh? They have competitors, others like Microsoft and others, on top of, of course, typical defense companies. I think for me, it's pretty hard to understand that there is so much pushback because if you are not supportive of the military of your country or at least doing work and support, in some ways for me, and maybe we are moving to opinions, but that's what a lot of companies are doing everywhere in the world to support directly or indirectly your military. Google obviously has a lot of employees who are not even American citizens, but it starts to get very murky for me. Mm. And I understand at some point, it's Google decision, but it feels like it was not Google decision. It was mm. some employees pushing an agenda. And personally, I feel better if the best companies support the U.S. military. From my perspective, it will be a better outcome because it will create a stronger military and it will create a better military. The last thing I want is an understaffed, undermanned, under-equipped, ill-equipped military that just create more mistakes and more risk from my perspective. I definitely expect in other countries that companies actually have no choice but to support the military if they are asked to. Mm. So at the very least, it should be the company decision, not a small slice of employees who decide. Two different topics. One is the, the whole leaking thing. On the leaking thing, I don't want to be a brute, but honestly, it's very simple. If you leak stuff with a very specific purpose of informing journalists and others on what's going inside the company, I mean, honestly, unless magically that's a value of the company, you should be fired. I mean, it is what it is. There has to be a degree of openness in town halls and sharing that is not conducive to then people just sharing stuff outside of the realm of the company which is a trusted realm at the end of the day in doing so. Unless, again, as I said, it's part of the values of the company that you're very open and you share everything. I mean, I don't know companies like that, but maybe they exist. For me, it's a fireable offense in all due respect. It's not okay. And sometimes it might actually have confidential information on the company. There might be other things that are discussed in those town halls that are strictly confidential. So again, absolutely not acceptable. Absolutely not acceptable, right? Totally in agreement. You cannot run a business like this. You absolutely cannot run a business like that. 
The second topic is, you know, should you serve military or not, etc. I'm not going to have a particular perspective on the Google example and whether they were just peer pressured. Google's done business with military and defense for, for, for decades. They have as one of their core industries that they serve in several of their product offerings, including Google Cloud, etc. So honest to God, it is sort of what it is. A couple of points I would make. One, at the end of the day, the notion that a lot of innovation actually gets driven by money from government is there. It's true of the US. We always forget that venture capitalism, we talked about it in one of our previous episodes on VC. A lot of Silicon Valley was funded on that, on public-private partnerships, on money from defense. And we should not forget that. A lot of the amazing tech we have was funded by defense. The second piece we should not forget is it still the case today? We have DARPA, for example, leading the way on many things. We use the internet, right? DARPA <laughs> funded this thing early on, right, guys? <laughs> so again, the defense agencies have put money into stuff that we use today as consumers. Thirdly, GPS. GPS. There's so many examples we could give. Thirdly, there's entire ecosystems that in their first inception, in particular when it comes to frontier and deep tech, are funded by defense. Mm -hmm. If we look at Israel in particular, how many amazing frontier and deep tech companies, how much innovation has happened, for example, in cybersecurity that was funded by, by the Israeli defense forces that then made its way into corporations, etc. So again, for me, it's not a matter of, oh, where's the line? It's a very complex line. I understand that Google stands to do no evil and that's still part of the motto. But at the end of the day, what is evil and where does the line stand? It's sometimes in this case, I think it's actually relatively complex. Defense is an industry. It needs to be served. Someone will serve them. And it has driven a lot of innovation. It funds a lot of innovation still to this day. It is what it is. And so the question then is, do you want to take that money or not? How much do you want to take of that money? Do you need to take it or not? All of those are more complex questions that need to be answered by CEOs, by their boards of directors, by their investors. But ultimately, that it is what it is. It's a very good point. And I think that the defense industry is not just attack, but defense. <laughs> so it's here to defend, to defend your country, to defend your citizen, to defend actually your team, your <laughs> company ultimately. And as you say, if you're not ready to take the money, somebody else will, but they might not have as a good intention, good ethics. And, and so that's a real question. If you don't do it, someone will do it. On some other topics, not just this one, we have seen companies being influenced by employees for, for different situation. For instance, some companies end up firing employees because they were not fitting well enough in their environment. Apple fired pretty visibly someone who was just joining the business, Antonio Garcia Martinez, a writer who dared to write a book. And I actually wrote this book at the time and it's definitely entertaining. And yes, at some points you might agree, disagree on how it's presented, but it's a book written to be entertaining. And <laughs> if I pick so many movies or music that are designed to be entertaining and I start to pick the sentence and what he said, and I say, oh no, I really don't like what I'm hearing and it's shocking and I cannot stand. And let's absolutely never hire this guy who dared to write such a thing because it was entertainment and it's bad and it's shocking how I see the world. I think it's really not okay. And in that situation, it looks like Apple was perfectly aware about the books he wrote. It would have been difficult not to be aware, but decided under uh, pressure from employees, this guy should be fired right away because some, not all, but some don't want to work with a guy. That's pretty shocking for me. First, it's uh, either Apple knew or didn't, know, didn't analyze carefully enough what it means to bring someone with uh, such visibility. But at the same time, it feels like a case of giving in to the crowd 
And obviously, you have questions. Huh? If you're Apple, they made acquisitions. They have people on their board, people who wrote stuff, people who wrote lyrics in music. Are we going to remove half the music on Apple Music because it's not okay? I think it's raising too many questions. We'll see how it goes. If you have opinions and you communicate them, you can get fired. Obviously, it depends how you position them, in what context. Is it internal, external? Is it on your own time? Is it representing the company? So you have to walk a fine line. It's not always easy to find it because the line keeps moving. What was acceptable 20 years, 10 years, 5 years, 2 years ago might not be the same today. Yeah. But we also have to be careful about analyzing that and overreacting to all of this. The crowd out there is aggressive, but that doesn't mean you have to submit to it. That sounds like a revolutionary motto. So maybe we can start a revolution next. <laughs> I agree with the point you just made. Obviously, the line is a very fine line and you have to be thoughtful about it and you have to evaluate it within the context of the company you're in. I personally, very early in my career, and this person didn't work directly in my unit and my team, but I was part of a decision that led to the firing of someone for their views on on racial diversity, etc. And in this case, I still to this day believe that we took the right decision as a company. As I said, I was just a small part of the decision because the person wasn't in my team, but we were consulted and it was a very complex decision for the company to make. But we're talking about someone, and this was before I moved to the US, so this was not in the US, but a Caucasian dude in the middle of a conversation, we're having lunch and the guy says something like, I would close that neighborhood. This is like a shanty town in that part of, of that country. I would close that shanty town and kill everyone in there, right? Well, <laughs> And the people that live there are of color, like 90 to 95%. And he had mentioned it already. And he had made allusions in a very explicit way to which color explicitly <laughs> had a problem with. And there was a guy next to him who was one of our consultants who was a person of color and of that specific color. And in the middle of this terrain, the guy says, well, it's not about you. I respect you. You're my coworker, whatever. But if that was the case, honestly, how can we then continue working with this person? Like This is insane. And people would say, well, but he was manifesting his views in an environment which is a lunch. And he said to the other guy he wasn't talking about, it's like... Yeah. <laughs> oh, if you talk about uh, killing people and a whole neighborhood, <laughs> no, come on. But he said, I would just close that thing so that nobody would go out and put it on fire. Those are the exact words. <laughs> She's crazy. And at that point in time, with all due respect, I think that's a fireable offense. It's not going to work. Really sorry. It's not aligned with our values. <laughs> Please move on, right? What you describe uh, remind me also on occasion, uh, we had to make a decision to fire someone on similar circumstances. And it's obvious that if you are hateful and you are in a company, you are working with other people. If your attitude is publicly to your colleague in front of them, hateful, I mean, that's a fireable offense. That's it. And that should be. <laughs> it's a As a company, you are here to provide people an opportunity to join a business, to make money, to develop yourself, to benefit from it, and not to be afraid of your colleagues. I mean, this is just not okay. This type of situation can be very shocking. Absolutely. But I will say when it's black and white, it's bad, it's horrible, but in some way it's easier because you can make that decision. It's when you are in that gray zone where it's tougher. Bertrand, you feel this is a binary decision, but I had a conversation with someone I respect a lot who said, well, it's not that easy because this was done in the context of a lunch and 
he said to the other person that it wasn't about the other person. I was like, mate, I mean, all due respect. <laughs> it's like some guy comes and says, maybe one day I'll just come into with a machine gun into the office and just kill everyone. And we're like, oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> he said it within the context of lunch and... <laughs> Not really your team, but another team on another floor. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, yeah. At some point you take the warning signals. Yeah. Maybe we bring it all together and bring it to a more summarized vision of the world. I'll throw the first attempt at it. The first thing that is interesting for someone to actually think about is, is the time that you are spending on media or alerting people on the situation that is happening impactful and important, either for you individually, but more importantly for the company. And I remember a book that I still love, From Good to Great, from Jim Collins, where he has this one chapter on leadership, and he talks about level four and level five leaders, where level five leaders are the ones that have the best performance. And he actually did some analysis, and I remember, I haven't read the book in a long time, so if I get this wrong, I apologize to everyone and to Jim. But I believe he was saying that actually level five leaders, which again are the best leaders in terms of performance of their company, had literally half of the media mentions or interactions than level four leaders. And what's fascinating about that stat, that level five had around half of the mentions or interviews in media than level fours, is it's actually based on a relatively scientific study. They looked at a bunch of years of data. And maybe that is the point. The point is that if you are, in general, a great successful CEO, founder, CEO, a senior executive, you're spending most of your time focused on your company and not focused on media and focused on the vision that others have on you, that you're focused on really making your company work. So really interesting finding. It's always been in the back of my mind and, and I've been thoughtful about it also in my roles in venture capital about talking in public, obviously creating and helping create our brand at Chameleon and prior to that at Strive, but at the same time, not overdo it, really be thoughtful about it, but very interesting conclusion there from that study. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a very interesting point. I'm sure I dare say not so surprising. Of course, we have that <laughs> one standard deviation or two difference uh, with someone like Elon Musk, where definitely there is a very high um, correlation of time spent and uh, success overall. If we pick an example, actually, that goes in your direction, I must say I've been surprised by the tweet storms over the past, I don't know, 12 months from um, Bolt uh, CEO, Ryan Baslow, who is now Bolt chairman. It was definitely a lot, <laughs> very aggressive, uh, very controversial, but I couldn't help but feel a sentiment that it's always somebody else's fault. Mm. It's not me if I couldn't raise. It's not me if I couldn't get to Y Combinator. It's not me. It's it, there are bad people that are against me. It's very surprising. So that one also feels pretty disturbing. Maybe the last question of them all in bringing all of this together is how much is too much? How much is too much? How much should you exaggerate in creating a little bit of this reality distortion field, what I call smoke and mirrors? Obviously, as an entrepreneur, there's always this notion of fake it till you make it. And not just entrepreneurs. We've seen very large companies being led by very senior people doing similar things. The good old days of vaporware at Microsoft come to mind. But, but how, much is, how much is too much? We have, obviously, the case of Tyrannos, where the view is that it was too much and that there was maybe really fraud involved in the claims that were made. And WeWorks, Adam Newman and what he did and was it really fraud or was it not fraud? And it was really more about you know, propelling and creating this imagery that we work with something that it was not in the end, that we work was a platform, it was software enabled, and it wasn't about just 
real estate. And then now we sort of realize it's really all about real estate. So how much is too much? How much is too much? I'll offer my two cents. You have to be always running a little bit ahead of schedule in some ways as a CEO. You always have to be sort of talking about something that's coming next, but be thoughtful that it is achievable, that you know that within a timeline of maybe a year or two years, it's going to be achievable. If it's a longer term vision, be thoughtful on how you convey that to potential investors, existing investors, to people around you. And that won't take away from your message. It won't take away from your story. It won't take you away from your reality distortion field that you may use externally and internally within the company. Having a little bit of that reality distortion field, having a little bit of a higher bar and a push for everyone is important. We know it actually achieves great things, but there is such a thing as too much. For me, the borderline is achievability, vision, clarity and communication on when it, we will get there in particular internally or with your investors. That is for me the line. I think everyone talk about reality distortion field. It's uh, it has been coined after Steve Jobs and his ability to really present things in a way that will, of course, uh, benefit uh, his company, introduce his product in a way that will change people's mind and perspective. But what was always great with uh, Apple is their ability to deliver the goods. It's not Appleware forever, for years. There is really an ability to deliver the goods. If you take WeWork, for instance, I was shocked to see the numbers recently. They have a 2 billion market cap after 22 billion investment in the business. I mean, if you want to talk about destruction of shoulder values, that's a prime example right there. Obviously, Terranos, we had a, even more. We had total loss of equity in the business. I don't know if at the end of the day, once you spot a CEO in Vanity Fair or Vogue, it means it's too late. It's really not focused anymore about the company building the products, but about uh, the individual. Uh, and I think that's definitely a risk. To conclude, I think we took the occasion today to, to review. I'm not sure we try to pass judgment too much. Obviously, there are extremes that are clear everyone should stay away from. But ultimately, I guess that some of this, your approach to PR for your company, your products, yourself, has to depend about your, your company, your mission, your own personality. It has to be adapted. It has to be genuine. But still, at the end of the day, the more you do, the more risk you create and the more history has shown that on average, it might not be that good for the business. I agree with all the points you made. I think the net of it is there is such a thing as too much. And the primordial essence of your job as the CEO is to propel your company going forward. Now, that does mean that you do have to have some social media presence. You do have to create some branding around the company. And part of that branding will go through you, the CEO and the founder. So it's not that you should be absolutely outside of the world and just focused on the company and not do anything. Although we have seen some CEOs that have been successful at doing that. But it's more around what are the limits of conveying your opinions? What should your opinions be focused on? And the net of it from this episode, from my perspective, is really around that that you should sort of stick to your lane, talk about things you understand, you know, talk about your company, be passionate. Don't just go and create controversies where there shouldn't be any. Thank you, Bertrand. Thank you, Nino. You can check the latest on our website, decipheredshow.com. You can connect with us on Twitter at bschmidt and at ngpedro. As a disclaimer, these are our own opinions. We're not representing the views of any company. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe, give us five stars, or leave a review on Apple Podcast app or your favorite app, which will help other people to discover Tech Decipher. Thank you for listening. 
See you next time.